So before I do any more announcements, we need to make sure we get Bibles into people's hands, right? Because the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. So if you didn't bring your sword with you, uh, put your hand up in the air and some of the guys in the back will bring a Bible to you. Those of you that have your Bibles, Matthew 27. Matthew 27. And since it is Communion Sunday, we typically take a shorter passage from the Word uh, to allow time for us to just maybe um, spend some more time in worship, in song, in prayer. Uh, You know, on any given morning, we come in with that wonderful facade of how are you, I'm fine, you know, and, and for many of us, things just aren't fine. And so maybe today, you know, God will speak to your heart in a way that you weren't expecting. Uh, some of you are, are guests here with somebody, you've been brought by someone, and maybe God will sneak up on you today as he does so many people um, in ways and at times that they're not expecting and touch your heart in a particular way as we read his word and we celebrate um, his death on our behalf and his life given to us. So if you've got your Bibles open to Matthew 27, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you know every soul that sits here and in other churches around the county and around the world. Father, you created each one individually. And you know us more intimately than we know ourselves. And Lord, there's things uh, that, that dwell in our hearts and the deepest thoughts of our, of our minds, Lord, that uh, we have um, maybe been ashamed to share or, or even hard to admit to ourselves. And Lord, we just thank you that before you, all things are naked and open. And we're encouraged by that, Lord, that you still invite us to come, that you still invite us to join you at the table, knowing who we are, knowing our weaknesses, knowing our, hum- our humanness, Lord, knowing our tendency to be attracted to sinful things. And you still invite us. You've chosen to love us. And you've given us your word as encouragement, as challenge, and you've put on display for us to see the lives of other people so that we might learn from them. And so, Lord, I pray that as we open your word this morning, that our hearts would be tender, that our primary desire in this lifetime, would be to be conformed into the image of your Son. That we would be like lights shining in a dark world. That we would be like salt flavoring this world. Lord, we just need you as much as we ever have in our lives, working through our lives. So we pray that you would equip us, Lord, to do the work you've called us to do. And we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen, amen. So as Phil mentioned, we are in Matthew looking at really this 24-hour period of time. We've been looking at it for the last few days uh, that included the Passover meal or what we call the Lord's Supper, uh, Jesus' being uh, betrayed by Judas in the garden, his prayer there before he was betrayed. Um, his arrest being this nighttime ludicrous trial that he was put on, this innocent... I mean, the truth is on trial. And they're, they're finding the truth guilty. They're condemning life to death. And that's what they said. He deserves... He's deserving of death. That was the, 
the judgment that they made. And we watched as Peter, then the highlight sort of shifted from, from Jesus for a moment to Peter. As Peter then was following at a distance and, and they say, hey, weren't you one of those guys that was with Jesus? And he says, no, no way, not me, man, you got the wrong guy. And three times that happens. And then when Jesus and Peter lock eyes together, Peter is just undone. And he disappears from the scene. And, and that's where we left off. We are marching toward the very place that Jesus said he would be going to the cross. And we meet with an interesting story or, or uh, detailed account, somewhat detailed account, of, of that, that's only provided by Matthew, by the way. Uh, we do have a reference to it in the book of Acts. But this first part in, in Matthew 27, uh, where Judas actually commits suicide, is not dealt with in the other gospel writers. Only Matthew deals with this. Only Matthew presents us with this. And look, some of you know this about me, about this church. We've made a commitment to walk through the entire counsel of the Word of God. And that means we take what we like and and what may be hard to hear or what may be difficult. But that's the commitment we've made because we believe it takes the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. And I also believe that there are things that we deal with. You know, I'd love to preach another sermon on good stewardship or on having a happy marriage or on how to parent kids or on love. And all those things are good and right and wonderful and part of the Word of God. But how often do we hear the issue of suicide addressed in church? I mean, where else, where better to address the issue than in church? Then let's see what God has to say about these things. Let's see what we learn about these things. Because whether we like it or not, it's an issue our society faces. 30,000 people a year choose to find a permanent solution to a temporary problem and take their own lives. We see it in the schools among our youth. We see it among people we know, people we work with. And so um, we see that, that this is not something new. And maybe, maybe we can learn a little something from Judas uh, about these things as we get in and study this passage. There's a lot, like I said, you know, this is not the most fun thing to preach, but I, there's, you know, what, 250 people in here. And there's a good chance that some of you in here have considered it, are considering it, or will consider at some point taking your own life because of something you feel is hopeless or can't be fixed. And because there is an adversary, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Somebody say amen to that. I mean, that's true, isn't it? And so if we neglect the fact that there's a spiritual side of these things, I think we leave ourselves very vulnerable. And that's what we see in the life of Judas. So let me do this. I'm just going to read. We're only going to do, I think, 10 verses today. And then we'll leave plenty of time. The praise team is going to lead us in some more time of praise. We'll have a time of prayer and we'll break bread together and share communion. Um, But I'm going to read the whole passage and then we'll just hit on a few key points um, for this morning. So verse 1 of chapter 27 begins with, When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. That's your your problem. Verse 5. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went 
and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what, the, what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Now that's the end of the, the passage we'll do today, and then we come, we'll come to the trial before Pontius Pilate. So back with me to verse 1 of chapter 27. It, it begins with when morning came, and so that is our key of the time frame that Jesus has now been up all night. The disciples have been up all night. Peter warming himself by the fire. It's cold at this time of year, in, in the evening, in the desert, in Jerusalem. And, and so the evening has passed. Now it's morning time. The middle of the night they had this mock religious trial where they pretty much had determined the result before they ever met. They knew what they wanted to do. They wanted to get rid of this problematic Jesus. He was just a fly in their ointment, and they thought, if I can just get rid of, if we can just get rid of him, then everything will be peaceful. And that's not a, that's a sentiment that I think some, some still have, even in our day and age. If we could just get rid of Jesus from our schools, if we could just get rid of Jesus from our government, if we could just, you know, get rid of Jesus, then everything can be okay. We won't have all this conflict and all this problem. Well, if you ask me, if you get rid of Jesus, that's where problems start. Um, I could go on about that, but... In the interest of time, we will not. So when morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people, this is the religious leaders, they plotted against Jesus to put him to death. They're plotting murder. They hired the hired gun Judas to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. And they worked it out, and it happened, and they've had this mock trial, and now in the morning time, they have the more formal trial to just confer what was decided in the middle of the night at the illegal trial. So you see, Jesus' death is just, his crucifixion is shrouded in all kinds of um, illegalities, immoralities. I mean, it's just crazy stuff. If you've ever thought that you've been treated unfairly, that somehow you deserve to be treated fairly, I mean, Jesus was not treated fairly. And how many of you understand that in this world, You will have tribulation. You are not always going to be treated fairly. And Jesus has set for for us an example of how to behave when we're treated unfairly. Or when your kids are treated unfairly. How do we handle that? Well, we look at the life of Jesus. We see how he handled it. So they they have this morning time trial. And then he's not, but it doesn't stop there. You see, because all the Jews could do, their, their way of capital punishment was stoning. But the Bible didn't predict that Jesus would be stoned to death. The Bible predicted that he would be crucified pretty clearly in Isaiah and other places in the Bible. He would be crucified. And so he goes now from the uh, Jewish authorities. They transfer him to the Roman authorities. Because right now, at this time, at this time period, uh, Jerusalem was under the governance of Rome. And this guy named Pontius Pilate, he didn't fly planes that wasn't his title. I mean, it, it wasn't his job description. It's his name. And when they had bound him, so they take Jesus bound, which is a miracle in and of itself, because what kind of ropes are going to hold Jesus? He's like Samson, you know, he just bust them if he wanted to. So Jesus is willingly participating in this. You have to understand that. 
that when he is being crucified, it's not against his will. When he is paying for the sins of the world, it's not uh, without his consent. He is walking there willingly and knowingly. Otherwise, they could never hold him, could they? They could never bind him and keep him. It's, it's a, the whole thing is just a fake. I mean, he's just, he's going along with it. It's like those little plastic handcuffs your kids used to try to put on you when, when they were little. You buy them at the dollar store, the little plastic handcuffs. Okay, go ahead. You can handcuff me. And, you know, you just poink. And they, sometimes they just fall apart on their own. You just look, you take them out of the box and they fall apart. But it's, it's like little plastic handcuffs. What are they going to do? So they take him bound like a criminal to the Roman governor who's overseeing that area. Pontius Pilate. Now, we will talk more about him as the story progresses later on. Now, verse 3, the spotlight now moves to Judas. Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Uh, Judas, now we don't have a lot of families as they're searching for names for their sons, choosing Judas. Um, his name, and there's, I mean, his name has been attached to betrayal ever since this time, right? I mean, Judas, when we think of Judas, matter of fact, um, you, some of you know I was involved with horses in a previous career, and so I, I have some familiarity with the horse industry, and out in the West, they round up the wild horses that, that roam around in Utah and California and Colorado and those places and the Bureau of Land Management, because the horses are a problem to local farmers and whatnot, they uh, will occasionally round up all of these wild horses so they can then parcel them out to be trained at different places. They have auctions and whatnot. And what they do, the, the way that they do it is very interesting. They take a horse and they train this horse that when they, when they put him in a certain place, they train him to run to a place that they have predetermined. So they spend months out in the, the millions of acres out in Utah somewhere or, or Nevada or wherever, and they train this horse to run from here to this other place that they have determined. And what they do is they set up stockades there where this, this horse that's a plant, then when they, they drop him off, you know, they take him out there in a horse trail, they drop him off, he mingles with the herd of wild horses, and pretty soon he does what he was trained to do, and that's run back into this corral system. And guess what the other horses do? They follow him. And they follow him back into the corral where then all of the horses are caught and corralled. Do you know what they call him? They call him the Judas horse. The Judas horse, because he betrays them. They trust him, this horse, and then he betrays them, uh, and they're caught. And so Judas's name has been attached to betrayal. But, but really, if you think about it, he was a privileged guy. He's the only one not from Galilee, where the other disciples are from. But he was one of the chosen ones. He was chosen by Jesus to be a disciple. He was given power to cast out demons and to heal the sick. And he, and he went out with the others, two by two, doing these things. He saw Peter walk on water. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw lepers be healed. He had privilege. He had all this spiritual privilege. And some of you this morning, you have had great spiritual privilege in your life. You've grown up in a Christian family. You've been going to church all your life. You've seen things. You've been part of things. Judas had that. Jesus washed his feet 
during the, the, the Passover meal, during the Last Supper. He was one that Jesus washed his feet. Matter of fact, Judas actually had a priority position. He handled the money. He's, he was the one that they trusted with the finances. And Jesus said, I got other stuff to do. I'm not going to, you know, how about you handle the, the financial part of our little ragtag ministry here? And so Judas kept the money. He was the treasurer of the group. But Judas's heart was very vulnerable. Judas's life was very vulnerable. Why? We never see Judas call Jesus Lord. Not once. He calls him rabbi, teacher, but never Lord. And he had this area uh, uh, in his life called greed. He was a greedy man. We know that. The Bible tells us that clearly. He was, he was the treasurer, but guess what he was doing? He was skimming off the top. He would take money for himself. And then he's the one, for, for greed, he betrays Jesus. How much can I get for this? What's in it for me? And money became a real issue for Judas, and it left him really, really vulnerable in his life because he did not accept Jesus as his Savior, as, as the Messiah, as the other disciples had recognized. As Peter said, you know, there was a time when Jesus' teaching was so hard that many of the disciples, they quit following. They said, ah, we don't understand. We don't, we don't get that. That's a little too hard for us. We're not going to follow anymore. And he looked at his disciples. He said, what, are you going to go away like these other people? And Peter said, Lord, who are we going to go to? Only you have the words of eternal life. You alone have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? And all the disciples agreed. But I'm not sure Judas agreed. And from the beginning, he was the son of, of loss or the son of perdition. He was going to be the one that, that couldn't be brought into the fold. He had his own plan. He had his own desires. He thought his way was the right way. And he was going to accomplish it. And money was his God. And if money is your God, you know the Bible says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. And Judas was living for money. And so look what happens. He's called then Judas his betrayer. Does not call Judas his disciple. Or Judas his friend. Even though Jesus had said, you know, friend, what, what, what are you doing? What do you want? When he was, um, why, why have you come when he was betraying him? But now he's known as Judas, his betrayer. Look at this next sentence. Seeing that he, Jesus, had been condemned was remorseful. I wonder if Judas understood the ramifications or the consequences of what he was going to do when he betrayed Jesus. I don't think he did. I think that because Jesus, or Judas was so caught up in his love for money and so caught up in, in thinking that Jesus wasn't doing what he should be doing or somehow Jesus was a fake or whatever he thought. We don't know for sure. But either way, he thought another opportunity for me to make a buck. And just like so many people who get into sin, it starts small and the more you feed it, the more it grows until you finally find yourself somewhere where you never expected to be doing something you never thought you'd do and you said you would never do. And Judas has found himself in this place recognizing that what he did had greater consequences than he ever expected. Because he never thought, he never thought they'd condemn Jesus to death. He thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe Jesus will he'll get a, a few lashes and then they'll let him go. Or who knows what he thought. Or maybe he wasn't thinking at all. Maybe he was just acting and not really thinking about the long-term consequences of his choice. And so he does it, and now he realizes, whoa, 
I'm in over my head. This went farther than I thought. Anybody ever been like that? Maybe it's with alcohol. I can handle it. I can handle my alcohol until, you know, it, it's the, the, the DUI or until it's the family that's leaving you or, or it's, maybe it's the drug addiction or maybe it's with sexuality. You know, I never thought, we never thought it would go that far, you know, but now I'm pregnant. And you see, with God, all things are possible except one. God can't change the past. Think about it. God can't change the past. Now, he can change the future. And he can forgive the past. And he can help you deal with the past. But he can't change it. So be very careful with the choices you make and with the way that you live. Because now Judas is saying, when he saw it was condemned, he was remorseful. And, and, and there's a specific reason that, the, that this word is chosen. There are two words. Maybe some of your Bibles say he repented himself. Anybody's Bible say that? He repented himself. It means, this, the word that's used here means to care about after. So after it happened, Judas said, whoa, you know, now I've even crossed my own line. That's not what I wanted to happen. That's not what I expected to happen. And he was horrified at what had happened. And he regretted it. And it was a change, it was a change in the way he cared about what occurred. Now I wonder if Jesus wasn't condemned, if he would have cared. If some other result had happened, but because the result happened, you know, and, and I've met plenty of people who, you know, they, they are struggling in one area, or they, they get into something, and they get, they get busted, and afterwards they regret it. You know, I got caught, I got busted, yeah, I feel bad about it, but there's no change of mind. And that's what repentance is. There's a difference between being regretful, and you can cry, and you can say you're sorry, and all of those things can be involved with regret, right? How many of you have ever done something you've regretted? Oh, Lord knows I have. Oh, man, afterwards, I, I can't believe I did that. I've had a Judas situation in my own life. You know, stole a sign and returned it and got busted returning it. And, you know, and Judas is going to return the money. And I've been there. I've done that. And I regretted it because I got caught. But there's a different repentance is a change of mind. And we don't see Judas repenting. We see him regretting, and we'll see where that leads. So he, he re- was remorseful about it. He regretted it. And, and to try to appease his conscience, he brings back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest. This, somehow the money didn't matter anymore to Judas. It was all about the money at first, and, but now it's like it doesn't matter. You know, that, that thing doesn't matter. That, that pleasure that you might have from that, that night of intimacy, well, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter the next day. Or it doesn't matter two weeks from now when you're dealing with the consequences of a transmitted disease or you're dealing with the issue that, that came up from that. All of a sudden, those things, that's not as important. And, and you could give it, if you could give it back, you would. If you could take it back, you would. And so Judas is, for us, a, somewhat of an example of the problem of consequences in our lives. With, when we, when we um, well, I'll, let's move on. He tries to take the 30 pieces of silver back to the chief priests and the elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Actually, he sinned by being greedy. And I don't think he even sees himself clearly yet. He sinned by being greedy. And the greed led him to betraying innocent blood. And how many of you know what the Bible says about greed? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The problem is, because of greed, many people are pierced through with many sorrows. If money is the thing you live for, you're in for a long, hard life. If giving, if, if 
giving is what you're about, if being generous is what you're about, if being benevolent is what you're about, it was, it was Jesus that said it's much more blessed to do what? To give. You guys know the word of God. Why is it so hard for us to live that? Why is it that money is this thing that's such an issue in our lives? It's much more blessed to give than to receive. And if you become a giver, you see that. And God always provides for every one of your needs. He certainly does. He may not provide for every one of your greeds. But he provides for every... You will not go without. And that's the fear. If I give it away, if I give it away, somehow I'm not going to have what I need. You will always have what you need. You may not have the fancy car that your neighbor has or the, the fancy house the folks that you work with have or live in the best neighborhood or whatever, but you will be satisfied on the inside. Amen. Satisfied. And that's, there's nothing you can buy that can buy that for you. Amen. So he says, I've sinned, which is good. Pharaoh in the Old Testament said, I've sinned. But then as soon as the um, relief was had, you know, when the, when the frogs were all over the place during the plague of frogs and Pharaoh says, oh no, Moses, get, I've sinned against, you know, the, the children of Israel, you know, get rid of the frogs. And so Moses gets rid of the frogs and then Pharaoh hardens his heart again. Once he gets relief, his heart is hardened again. And so it's, not, you know, a lot of people can say, oh, I've sinned, I've done wrong and, and all that. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean they're ready for a change. A change in course of life, a change in life direction, a change of their mind, the way they think about life and and money and people and God. So look at their answer. He goes to them sort of trying for some consolation. He's got nobody now. I mean, we know he's got family, but we don't know where they are. But he's got nobody. He's betrayed Jesus, his best friend, the the best friend, anybody, the friend that's closer than a brother is Jesus. And he's betrayed him. Doesn't believe he is who he says he is. He's left all the disciples. He's got nobody except for these crooks, these religious crooks who he's aligned himself with. And he goes to them to try to find some uh, peace or some feeling of relief. And he says, here, take back the money. I, I, I can't believe I did it. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have been involved. And look what they said. What do we care? That's your problem. Ah. Oh. I think he confessed to the wrong people, don't you? They didn't care about him. How many of you know that there's people, they don't care about you. There's people in your life that do care about you. But there's people in your life, they're just trying to get what they can from you. And they don't care about you. And these people, these religious people, how many of you know that there's sometimes there's religious people, people that have the religious veneer that don't care about you. And that's why people reject Jesus. That's why people reject church. Because they've experienced this that sometimes people that look religious don't care about people. They care about their own stuff, their own progress, their own look. Amen. So they say, hey, we don't care. You know, that's your responsibility. And so frustrated, uh, unappeased, verse 5, Judas threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed. He threw them into the temple, not just on the, the temple mount area. He threw them into the temple. Frustrated, discouraged, I, I, don't, I don't want the money. He threw down the piece of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Anytime we read that, anytime we see that, anytime you read the news and you come across this, man, it's never easy. You go, man, how does that happen? You know, wasn't there anybody in his life? Was there anybody in Judas' life? Yeah, there was. And his name is Jesus. 
And he was there for him. And, and he could have gone to, instead of the, to the priest, he could have gone to Jesus and said, I've sinned against you, forgive me. And Jesus would have said, nah, sorry, can't do it. No, no. Jesus doesn't take any pleasure in the death of the wicked. He, he wants the, all people to be saved. No matter what you've, no matter the way you've betrayed him. The door is open. Today we're going to share communion. And he is going to invite you regardless of your past, regardless of what you, you could have been a Satan worshiper in the past, all the more glorious the day you become a Christian. You could have been a blasphemer of God in the past and a confirmed atheist and leading atheist groups. And if today the Lord speaks to your heart and you hear his knock on the door of your heart, you can be saved. Because the Bible says, whosoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. doesn't say might be saved or could be saved or, well, we'll talk about it. Let me think on it for a while. But remember, he's stuck between the rock, which he doesn't believe in, and a hard place, his guilt and his consequences. And, and so he's, Judas is stuck. Doesn't believe in Jesus, but has all this guilt to deal with. And now not everybody ends up committing suicide when they get to this place, but certainly, as I said, 30,000 people a year in our country alone uh, choose to do that. And what's worse is, yeah, if you know this story, Judas was so vulnerable that Satan had entered his heart. And Satan had, had, was directing his thoughts. And Satan longs to steal, to kill, and to destroy and I know for my life, and I've dealt with spiritual battles in my mind. Anybody else dealt with spiritual battles in my mind? No, not, you haven't dealt with spiritual battles in my mind. Get out of my mind. You'd be scared. That, you'd never let me be your pastor if you were in my mind. So you wouldn't be here. Um, but then we wouldn't let you here if we were in your mind either. So I think it's pretty even playing field. But look, here's the thing I want to say, and then we're going to share community. I'm going to invite Phil back up here. Maybe we won't do much more uh, after this. Um, there is a very real spiritual battle. And Satan wins if we deny that. If we think that there is just life on the human plane, then I think we are um, ignorant of Satan. That, I mean, that's Satan's biggest tactic, that we deny his existence. He's got us. And, but clearly the Bible says Satan having put it in the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. I was reading about the um, uh, Mark David Chapman, the killer of um, John Lennon, and how he had tried to do it one time, couldn't do it, didn't have the courage, so he went back to his hotel room and he prayed to Satan to give him the strength to do it. And then he was standing there, and John Lennon looked right at him and then walked past, and he kept hearing a voice in his head saying, do it, do it, do it. And I know of other instances where people have been through, uh, through um, have been vulnerable through various things in their lives, through drug usage, to the voice of the enemy in their heads, leading them to do things and think things that they would never otherwise think. So look, you need the Word of God to bring the truth where Satan brings in the lies. And I have been there mentally. You know, we've we've all been there where you think a thought and you go, "Where did that come from? I never. I, why would I think that?" Because if you know the truth, you have something to counter it with. You have some other voice in your head besides that one and the voice of your flesh that's kind of doing battle. And that's why the Bible says, 
please put on your spiritual armor and take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and stand because your adversary, the devil prowls like a roaring lion and he wants to devour you and he wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your relationships. It's what he does. I don't want to let him win. I don't want to let him win with anybody in here. But if all you've got is guilt and no Jesus, then you are vulnerable to Satan speaking into your mind about betrayal. Could be betraying a spouse. Could be betraying children. Could be betraying your boss. Could be, you know, anything. Could be anything. Anything steal. Could be to steal this, steal that, kill, destroy, whatever. Oh, we need, I need the word of God in my heart so I might not sin against him. So if, you know, as we, as we, I'm just going to wrap it up here that, you know, the last part of this we'll deal with next week, but I want to make sure we have time for communion and and time just to spend some time with the Lord, because I just want to encourage anybody in here that is prone to suicidal thoughts. um, It is a lie of Satan for you to take your own life, you know, And I always tell people, look, if you're considering taking your life, then before you do that, try giving it to Jesus. See if he can make something of it. Because I know he can. He's done it in my life. And I know there have been folks right in here, you know, that have teetered on the edge, making that decision. Things seem hopeless. God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to destroy you, not not to hurt you. The world, Satan has plans to hurt you. But God has plans to use your life if you give it to him. But if you don't give it to him, you'll never know. And speaking of consequences, what are the consequences of a life never laid down at the feet of Jesus? You only get to live, you get to go around this Ferris wheel one time. And you will never know what would life would have been like had you not made the other choice. And today, as we break bread, as we share communion, the invitation is once again laid before you. And Jesus is saying, I have chosen to love you. The question is, will you receive my love? Will you receive oneness with me? That's where redemption is. That's where forgiveness is. That's where life is. And, and I was talking to a guy yesterday, just a neat young man. And he was talking about how he, he couldn't really even understand how, you know, what, what God could do. He lives a pretty happy life and understand what God could do for him that he doesn't already have for himself. And so it happens he's from Florida. And I said, imagine trying to explain the beauty of the Blue Ridge Mountains if you've never left Florida and you've never seen a picture. All you know in Florida is flatland and marshland or whatever, you know. And you can say, well, I don't, I don't understand how anything could be better than Florida or different than Florida. How can it be different than this? This is all I know. This is my only experience. And me, having lived in Virginia, could say, man, if you could only come and see what, what it looks like to see the Blue Ridge Mountains. And so... As Christians, sometimes we evangelize, we share our faith with people, and we try to explain the Blue Ridge Mountains to someone who lives in the Sahara Desert. Or, or, or well, I'm not trying to knock Florida. They got Disney. That's good. There's one up on us. 
But you see what I'm trying to say? Is that maybe you're sitting there going, I don't see what, what this thing could be. How could it be anything? I, I can't explain it to you. You have to come and you have to taste and you have to see that the Lord is good. And you have to see that you have a Father in heaven who cares for you. And you have a word of God that's given to you for your benefit. And Jesus said, I'm the way and I'm the truth and I'm the life. And I believe it. Amen? Amen. Amen. So Phil's going to lead us in a few praise songs. And uh, look, if any of this has touched your heart, you don't have to come forward. We're not here to put you on display or to make you feel self-conscious. But there are people in our fellowship that have been where you are. There's nothing you have done that is different than what anybody else has done. There's nowhere you've been that's unique. And so if you need prayer for a health issue, if you need prayer for a sin issue, if you need prayer for a pride issue, or you've rejected Christ and you want to be saved, then just as we're praising the Lord, as we're singing and waiting on the Lord, just stand up where you are. You don't have to walk up here. Just stand, just so we can acknowledge or raise your hand. And people will gather around you, not to embarrass you, but to pray with you. Because our desire is that you would have healing and wholeness. So uh, we, we want to pray with you, or that, you would have, that you would not be alone in what you're going through. So just put your hand up or stand up or whatever, and then in, in a few minutes we'll pass out the uh, communion elements and we'll partake together.